The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. It's Ascension Day. Do you remember when President Trump said he wanted to reopen America by Easter? We are now 40 days past that, the entirety of the risen Christ's time among us, or more prosaically, another month and a third. And churches are still prohibited by American governors from, uh, uh, what's the phrase, the free exercise of religion. Ascension Day is not only a feast day in the Christian calendar, but a public holiday in France, Germany, and elsewhere in continental Europe. A lot of the shops are closed. So it's no different from yesterday, and the day before yesterday, and the day before the day before yesterday. May 21st, 2020. From my house arrest... To yours. It's your Stein Show Corona Copia. Everybody was kung flu fighting. Those stats climbed fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. Chat comes of expert timing. There were funky China men from funky Wuhan town. They were chopping bats up, they were chowing them down. It's an ancient Chinese dish, and everybody says delish. Chairman Z will book your flight, you'll be in Italy tonight, and everybody starts kung flu dying. Australia demanded an investigation into the origins of COVID-19 and in return, bat-eating psycho mob boss Chairman Xi imposed 80.5% tariffs. That 0.5 is a nice touch. 80.5% tariffs on Australian barley. It's going to hold up Australian iron ore for inspection. Uh, That's a term of art to commie thugs. Here's America's Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. First, basic facts. China's been ruled by a brutal authoritarian regime, a communist regime, since 1949. For several decades, we thought the regime would become more like us through trade, scientific exchanges, diplomatic outreach, letting them in the WTO as a developing nation. That didn't happen. We greatly underestimated the degree to which Beijing is ideologically and politically hostile to free nations. Second point, on the bigger picture. The Chinese Communist Party's response to the COVID-19 outbreak in Wuhan have accelerated our more realistic understanding of communist China. The party chose to destroy live virus samples instead of sharing them or asking us to help secure them. The Chinese Communist Party chose to threaten Australia with economic retribution for a simple act of asking for an independent inquiry into the origins of the virus. It's not right. We stand with Australia and the more than 120 nations now who have taken up the American call for an inquiry to the origins of the virus so we can understand what went wrong and save lives now and in the future. 
We stand with Australia, as its former Prime Minister John Howard said immediately after 9-11, this is no time to be an 80% ally, and he wasn't. And what with those commie goons on the Politburo uh, trying to do, this is no time for civilised nations to be an 80% ally to Australia either, or even an 80.5% ally, as Chairman Xi would have it. Many Americans are not aware of what Pompeo said because the big story re-Pompeo is that the now-removed State Department Inspector General was investigating him because Pompeo had a government-funded aide walk his dog uh, instead of walking the dog himself, accompanied by his 12-man government-funded security detail. A functioning society has to be able to prioritise. If you think... Pompeo's dog is the burning issue. If you think Kamala Harris's Senate resolution to condemn the phrase Kung Flu is the priority, uh, then in my usual expression, you're too stupid to survive. And frankly, you don't deserve to. Look at the average American news cycle and the amount of time wasted on complete garbage. Uh, either this thing is serious, this pandemic is serious, or it's not. But if it's serious, you don't talk about misgendering the Pennsylvania health director. While we're yakking about misgendering, Beijing stole the world out from under us, and getting it back is going to be extremely difficult. China is determined to smash Australia pour encourager les autres to show middle-rank powers that the price for crossing Chairman Xi is too high. Will the virus burn out with the summer? Well, it's 80 degrees in Rio de Janeiro, and Brazil has rocketed up the Wu flu rankings. In the next couple of days, it's going to overtake Russia for second place to America in the most confirmed cases. It's number six now in the world on the number of deaths and uh, likely to move higher in the next few days. They're in the thousand deaths per day phase, just like uh, northern Italy three months back, but with uh, higher temperatures. What have we learned from those last three months? The world went into lockdown to protect the most vulnerable among us. But in fact, government did not protect the most vulnerable. It exposed them to even more danger. In New York, in Pennsylvania and elsewhere, government caused thousands and thousands of deaths by moving corona-positive patients into care homes for seniors. How about the disabled? At Health Sciences North in Sudbury, Ontario, uh, a town where my dad used to work, Adam Ehrlich died alone, not because he had COVID-19, but because government-imposed regulations prevented family or friends visiting him in his final days. This is a truly barbaric cruelty. It's tough enough on uh, old people, but it's one thing for a 97-year-old great-grandma to understand that it's time to prepare to meet her maker. It's quite another for uh, the developmentally disabled, dying confused and bewildered under procedures for a disease they don't even have. If the issue is immune systems in the broader sense, is keeping citizens indoors the answer? That doesn't do anything for your immune system. Uh, Two-thirds of recent cases in New York are of people who are already staying home. A friend of mine uh, over in the UK self-quarantined for six weeks and then somehow got it. Rand Paul 
a senator and a doctor used a word a few days ago that has stuck with me. In a largely pointless virtual Senate hearing, or Senate virtual hearing, with the all-knowing Fauci, he suggested that given how much the experts have gotten wrong, it might be appropriate to have a, quote, little bit of humility. He's right. I don't just mean about all the stuff Fauci himself got wrong. I don't just mean the more widespread contradictory yo-yoing about masks and ventilators and all the rest. Just today, the CDC reversed its earlier advice and said, don't worry about the coronavirus surviving on surfaces. So there's no need to wipe down and disinfect your groceries and other retail products, as people have been doing for months. And this, as Waterstones, the biggest bookstore chain in the United Kingdom, has implemented a system ensuring that any book touched by a customer is electronically registered as having been browsed by a human being and is taken out of circulation for 72 hours. Boy, that's great news for us struggling authors. So you pick up a copy of a Mark Stein book, a light on a passage on page 173, say, oh my God, this Stein guy can't write, and then the book goes into quarantine for three days. I can't wait to see my next royalty statement. Who's right? The CDC? Waterstones? Nobody knows. Nobody knows why some events are super spreaders and others aren't. Nobody knows why Florida has been among the states least afflicted by a disease that supposedly preys on old people, all of whom go to Florida. It's a state of old people. Five million confirmed cases worldwide, and we know as little about this thing as we did in February. As for the public policy decisions... We did this to protect the healthcare system, and we so terrified people away from the healthcare system that hospitals all over America are now laying off people. Across the Connecticut River from me in St Albans, Vermont, the only hospital in the county is laying off 85 people because nobody's coming in. And then there's the relief measures. After two months out of work, millions of Americans are still waiting for that lousy 1200 bucks. Millions still can't log on to the dysfunctional government websites to register for unemployment benefits. And millions and millions of dollars that were supposed to go to small mom-and-pop businesses have instead been hoovered up by Planned Parenthood and Pennsylvania State University and all the other grifters like cocaine at a Hunter Biden hooker blowout. A little bit of humility. Humility. Humility about modelling, humility about expertise, humility about the power and efficacy of government. Instead, across the Western world, we are building a new normal, just like the old normal, the post-9-11 new normal, the big panopticon security state taken to the next level, in which the TSA is not just behind the check-in desk, but around your house, in which the citizen is further diminished, social trust is further diminished, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of religion, freedom of association are all profoundly diminished. Andrew Cuomo, who has an awful lot of blood on his hands, tweeted yesterday, do your part, show respect, wear a mask, unquote. Show respect? Who, who put those words in his tweet? I thought wearing a mask was a practical measure to prevent infection. What does show respect mean? Show respect for Western governments far too comfortable with the new authoritarianism.
Ah, it's too much. What else is happening? In Bridgeton, Maine, investigators from the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife say that a loon killed a bald-headed eagle by stabbing it through the heart with its beak. This is the first known case of a loon taking out an eagle. The eagle is America's national bird. The loon is a great Canadian symbol and the official bird of Ontario, and it's on Canadian dollar coins. So this may be the first shot in an avian war of 1812. We'll keep you posted. And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime... Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. We have been running this series for two months now, since back when the lockdown was just temporary, an emergency, just for a fortnight or so. It was still winter then, a little chilly in the United Kingdom. Now summer beckons and an unair-conditioned flat gets a little stuffy even with the windows open. And so with temperatures in the 70s, you think you'd like to exercise your right to step outside. Not so fast. A London street in St John's Wood. A man is standing outside his home with his dog. It's hard to tell uh, from the wanker copper side of the audio here, but two policemen tell him to go back into his apartment, thereby attracting the attention of a passerby. Why don't you take your dog and go back in your flat? Is he not allowed out of his flat? Well, but he's allowed. To st- if he lives here, he's allowed to stand outside his house, isn't he? Is he not allowed to do that? Is he not allowed to do that? But if he lives here, is he not allowed to? So he's not allowed to take his dog out of his house. Yeah, I am. Yeah. No, but he lives here. But he lives here. Doesn't he? The police explain to the bystander that they've witnessed the man earlier doing his daily exercise. Apparently his flat is under surveillance and therefore he has no valid reason to be on the street. Furthermore, he and the dog are just standing and standing does not count as exercise, uh, which strikes me as a wanker copper's wanker misinterpretation of a wanker law. If you're cooped up, leading a sedentary life in a small flat, Standing outside or even walking very slowly is surely exercise. Who says he's done his daily exercise? Yeah, but how, how do you, are you? Is it your job to determine how long he has exercise for? Oh, no, but I'm asking you, is it, is it your job to determine how long he comes out of his house? The policeman justifies ordering the man back into his apartment by saying... It's government advice, innit? It's government advice, isn't it? Advice. Advice. So if he wants to walk up and down this road for an hour, he's allowed to, right? He's not walking up and down the road. If he wants to stand there for an hour, he's allowed to, right? Is that against the law? So he's got his dog with him. Look, there's his dog. Is he not allowed to walk his dog for as long as he wants? Under the law. So what? So what? Great moments in British policing. The officer says he's not walking, the dog's walking. The dog is complying with the state's quote-unquote advice by not standing still, but his master is insufficiently mobile. But don't you think you're just overreacting on, on the laws, telling a man who lives who lives here with his dog... We're just trying to make yeah. people safe. We're just trying to make people safe. 
What a great phrase, a revealing phrase, in fact. We're going to make you safe. And as usual, the coppers enforcing safety aren't wearing masks, aren't social distancing, and are getting right in your face and breathing all over you. But you, you're not, because you're standing within two metres of me. Whilst, but you're standing within two metres of me while you're talking. And what's he doing that's causing people to be unsafe with his dog? He's been, he's been closer than two metres. To so if you look at you lot... He can't stand in the road with his dog. He's not exercising. He's not checking on a vulnerable person. He's not going to the shop for food. Or he's, or he's not going out for medical supplies, is he? Mate, can... As the officer says, he's not exercising. He's not going out for food. He's not going out for medical supplies. So in England, mother of parliaments, crucible of liberty, this man has no valid reason to be outside on a hot day. What are you talking about? Look at the dog. If I stand still, he's still walking. That's it. That's... If I went to a park, I'm standing still, my dog's running in the park. It doesn't mention the dog in your regulations, does it? Britain has had two months of this. Has it worked? The object was to, quote, protect the NHS, as Boris Johnson's awful slogan has it. As Lord Sumption, a retired judge, has pointed out, that's the wrong way round. The National Health Service is supposed to protect the public, the sick and the vulnerable. How's that working out? The United Kingdom has the highest number of corona deaths in Europe, the second highest in the world after America. What purpose does this policy serve after two months? London, St John's Wood, a man and his dog standing outside their flat. And right now, the dog has more rights. Evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalogue to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune into Stein's nightly tales for our time. Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As, or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com club. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. Switzerland joins the League of Nations, the USA is running out of oil, and Joan of Arc is a saint. It's May 1920. A hundred years from today. Your World News Update. Swiss citizens have voted in favour of joining the League of Nations in a referendum that saw the highest turnout in the nation's history. It was a close vote of the 19 cantons and six half cantons. The final result is 11 and a half cantons to 10 and a half cantons. French-speaking areas of the country have voted overwhelmingly for the league. German-speaking areas did not. The continent of Asia has its first communist party. The Communist Union of the Indies has been founded at Semarang, the bustling port city on the coast of Java, where there were thought to be many enthusiasts for the Bolshevik philosophy.
In the United States, President Wilson has warned the Senate that America will run out of oil within 20 years. Currently, the USA is the world's largest producer, accounting for almost 70% of global supply. But already, the nation has exhausted 40% of its oil, and at the current rate of depletion, the rest will be gone by 1940. Speaking of oil, here's a colourful fellow whose products use a lot of it. Ramble right along, the gas ran out in the big machine, but the darn little Ford don't need gasoline. Yes, as Billy Murray says, the little Ford rambles right along. But the big Ford, Henry Ford, is rambling right along in editorials he's dictating for his newly acquired newspaper, The Dearborn Independent. The first issue hit the stands in Michigan on May the 22nd with a big front-page story headline, quote, The International Jew, The World's Problem. Mr. Ford was famously pacifist during the recent war and blames the Jew for starting it. We shall see how his paper fares with Michigan readers. The Prince of Wales has arrived in Australia to convey His Majesty the King's thanks to his Antipodean subjects for their service during the war. A heavy fog in Port Phillip Bay prevented the battlecruiser HMS Renown from delivering His Royal Highness to shore, and a crowd of three-quarters of a million people were obliged to wait for hours until HMAS Anzac of the Royal Australian Navy could collect the prince and bring him into the pier at St Kilda. Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc, they are now calling you Saint Joan. Half a millennium after being burnt at the stake for heresy in 1431, Joan is now Saint Joan, having been formally canonised by Pope Benedict XV in his papal bull Divina Disponenti, which concludes the process begun 51 years ago in 1869 by a petition for sainthood of French bishops. Over 30,000 people attended the rite at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, including 140 descendants of St. Joan. Field Marshal Svetasar Borevich of Austria-Hungary has died. He was regarded as one of the finest commanders in the recent war, but after the disintegration of the Habsburg Empire, he found himself unwelcome among his own people, the Croats. His offer of services to the newly formed Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes was turned down and his possessions were seized en route from Slovenia to Carinthia, where he died in poverty. Field Marshal Borevich wrote that he could not understand why he merited this treatment as he was, quote, the only field marshal the southern Slavs have ever produced. 
The deposed Emperor Karl paid for his funeral in Vienna. But was unable to attend because his former majesty is banned from Austria for life. That's the way of the world, May 1920. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Oh, I should mention that song we just heard about Joan of Arc was sung by Vernon Dalhart, who had one of the biggest selling hits of all time a few years later with the Prisoners song. And I got a very nice email the other day from a first Fortnite founding member of the Mark Stein Club from California, Randy Inlow, who is a cousin of Vernon Dalhart, which is a rare distinction, and we are honoured to have him in our ranks. Steve, a fellow first Fortnite founding member, writes, as a founding Fortnite member, uh, this is the first time I've offered a comment on this site. Mark, I want to join the chorus of those giving thanks for the Corona Copia, the Songs of the Week, and everything else you do at this socially distant oasis in the internet desert. In his, thank you very much for that, Steve, in his 1978 commencement address at Harvard, Steve continues, Alexander Scholzenitsyn had many warnings for the West, but a passage jumped out at me as pertinent to Mark's comments on the outsourcing of everything to China. Here with that passage from 1978 at the dawn of our reset with China. Quote, in World War II against Hitler, instead of winning that war with its own forces, which would certainly have been sufficient, Western democracy grew and cultivated another enemy who would prove worse, as Hitler never had so many resources and so many people, nor did he offer any attractive ideas or have a large number of supporters in the West, as the Soviet Union. At present, some Western voices already have spoken of obtaining protection from a third power against aggression in the next world conflict, if there is one. In this case, the shield would be China. But I would not wish such an outcome to any country in the world. First of all, it is again a doomed alliance with evil. Also, it would grant the United States a respite. But when, at a later date, China with its billion people would turn around armed with American weapons, America itself would fall prey to a genocide similar to that in Cambodia in our days. That uh, famous Harvard address is full of profound wisdom that I didn't appreciate properly until really uh, this century, uh, a quarter century after he delivered it. Even though Scholzenitsyn was a kind of sort of neighbor of mine, uh, he lived southwest of me over the border in Cavendish, Vermont. I was once on a BBC show, Steve, and the... Uh, Sneering host, producer Schultz and it's in quote, designed to make me look like a twit, and rounded it out with a snide, uh, I take it you've heard of Alexander Schultz and it's in Mr. Stein. Uh, oh, sure, I said, we have the same piano tuner, uh, which we did. Uh, although I think it was uh, 
Scholzenitzen's son who played the piano, and in fact, rather well. Anyway, Scholzenitzen's correct to say that uh, anyone is doomed by an alliance with evil. Our alliance in the Second World War doomed half of Europe to live in a prison as prisoners of the Soviet Union. Imagine if a similar model uh, were to arise as part of our uh, alliance with China. I think a commenter I saw uh, responded to Steve that Solzhenitsyn was wrong to say that the new China would be armed with American weapons. He got that wrong. Well, actually, regardless of where the weapons are made, we paid for them. As I discuss in my book After America, the doubling of the debt from 10 to 20 trillion during the Obama years and the fact that China was by far our biggest lender for that debt meant that U.S. interest payments on the federal debt essentially paid for the massive expansion of the Chinese military during that time. I remember laughing my socks off at one of those idiotic Pentagon reports to Congress uh, in 2010 on Beijing's massive military buildup, including uh, new missiles, upgraded bombers and an aircraft carrier R&D program, blah, 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 all of which they said was intended to challenge U.S. dominance in the Pacific, which it is. But what the report didn't mention is who's paying for it. Answer Mr. and Mrs. America, which seemed to me by far the most interesting feature of China's military expansion. Um, because back when America was threatened by Japanese militarism, it wasn't so stupid as actually to pay for it. If the communists do ever take Taiwan, suburban families in Albuquerque and small businesses in Pocatello will have bankrolled it. And if America did ever go to war with China over that, it, uh, in my old line from After America, it would be, in, in fiscal terms, a U.S. civil war relocated to the South China Sea, uh, Washington paying for both sides. As for Scholzenitzin's warning about genocide, we find that hard to imagine. Kill Americans? Why would the Chicoms do such a thing? Uh, the necessity of violence is a key part of Maoist ideology that survives as a critical feature of the new sophisticated worldly China. For example, when they torture you in prison there, they're careful not to damage your organs. Why? Because they're planning to kill you and harvest your organs, which is why China is basically the only country on earth where you can pre-book your organ transplant because you don't have to wait for a donor. They've arranged all that for you. Falun Gong and the Uyghurs and other disfavored groups are the, quote, donors. The Chinese Communist Party kills more people than anybody else on the planet because it suits their interests. They've, they've just killed uh, over 300,000 people around the world that they didn't have to kill. If they just actually issued a memo or sent a little two-page report to their chums at the WHO, 95% of those people wouldn't be dead. They kill people because it suits their interests. Uh, whether that's uh, through uh, not shutting down international jet travel from Wuhan or whether it might be uh, uh, via an electromagnetic pulse somewhere in the sky over uh, St. Louis or Kansas City. They kill because it suits their interests. 
So if it suited their interests, why wouldn't they kill you? And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. It's the Mark Stein Club's third birthday, and uh, when we turned one year old, I hosted a cavalcade of number one hits, with me talking to Andy Williams, Banana Rama, Artie Shaw, Paul Simon, and other luminaries from the Stein archives who've had number one records over the years. And then when we turned two years old, I hosted a cavalcade of number two hits, with artists who've had number two records, Uh, But I'm currently cut off and isolated from the Stein archives because of this lockdown. So in lieu of our one-hour annual special, we're doing our number three hits uh, piecemeal, according to What's to Hand. And What's to Hand this week are a brace of number three sort of blockbusters. One from the Northern Hemisphere, one from the Southern Hemisphere, one from the 70s, one from the 80s. One of them is written by one of the biggest pop stars of the past half century, and the other is written by a bloke who spent most of that past half century playing in a Beatles tribute band. He did, though, get to meet Paul McCartney twice. The first time was in 1968 when he sang Christmas carols outside Paul's dad's house on the Wirral, uh, which is sort of just uh, that little corner where Wales meets England, just up from there if you're looking at a map. And the second time was uh, three and a half decades later when both he and Paul sang at Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Golden Jubilee. That's one of our featured songwriters. The other is a big, big star. They're both going to be sung by Lulu, and she'll tell me a little about them in just a moment. Let's set the scene with a song of the week from a couple of years back. Not just a number one, but Billboard's number one record of the year. Would you like just to uh, introduce it? I certainly would. Uh, Now, here's a song that I had a lot of success with in America, so I would love... Mark and Lulu on a Saturday night. Sorry, I didn't even answer that question, did I? Um, <laughs> You're forgiven. It's, it's, I ran it's okay. On. Yes. No, uh, I, it's always difficult finding really what mm, you think are really good songs. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's quite interesting for people who are not in the business mm. to hear this because if the more successful you are, I mean, if you just had four or five mm. hits, then everybody runs to you with their songs because yeah. they want you to record them. And there are great songwriters mm. around. For instance, the guy who wrote I Could Never Miss You More Than yes. I Do is is one of the great songwriters. His name is Neil Harrison. And um, I was lucky because Mark London, who was my producer, uh, he found or discovered Neil Harrison mm. and had these songs. Um, and he was doing demos. He said, Lou, it was, I think, when I was pregnant. Mm. He said to me, you want to do a couple of demos for me? I said, yeah, well, well, let me hear. Well, what is it? He said, got a couple of great songs, and I know you'll love them. Um, He said, uh, okay, played the songs to me. I went mad. I said, this guy is brilliant. He said, isn't he? Isn't he great? (laughs) So I went in, I did the demos, Mm. and I think it was quite obvious, almost obvious, in fact, not quite obvious, but almost obvious that they were going to end up being Mm. records of mine one day. (laughs) 
As she said, Lulu was just supposed to make the demo of this song as a favour to Mark London and it was going to be sung by somebody else. But the demo turned into a big hit. Number 18 in America, number 10 in Canada, but number 3 in New Zealand in After the David Bowie thing, mm. when I David wanted to produce me, and we went in and we did the Man Who Sold the mm. World, and it was marvelous because it was a hit here. Um, then I went to New York, and he wrote a couple of songs for me. We recorded them there, mm. but because he split up with his manager at that, just after that, my tapes sort of disappeared. Oh. I don't really know what happened to them. <laughs> um, anyway, we couldn't hang around waiting f- mm. for them to be found. And uh, maybe one day they'll turn up. Yes, that would be quite will. interesting. They're, they're bound to, in fact, well, the way these things go. Even, they? b- they'll yes. probably be worth a fortune. You yes. know, things happen like that. Yes. Number 13 in Germany, number 10 in the Netherlands, but number 3 in the UK. Lulu sings David Bowie. I want to do things that I'm proud of. I mean, 
I've, I've had a lot of hits, but not all of them I think are great. Mm. I mean, they're sweet. When yes. I listen to them now, I think, oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was at the time. <laughs> you know, because a certain producer would say, oh, it's a hit, it's a hit, you've got to do it. And, you know, I'm grateful to that, for that experience. But now I want to do things that my peers uh, will say to me, or, 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 like you've just mm. been saying in many different mm. ways, that the stuff I'm doing is, is of a certain quality. Mm. Uh, it's nice to have hits. Um, in fact, it's nice to have hits and it's nice to feel very proud of the stuff that you've done. An inspired pairing, uh, Lulu and David Bowie. As I found out a while later, uh, Lulu and Bowie were lovers, but her mum thought he was a bit weird, as one would if uh, your daughter brought him home. But that's a fine record, and they have never found those other tapes. On this third birthday of the Mark Stein Club, we'll have another number three song for you next week. Do check out our Song of the Week in essay form right here at Stein Online every Sunday around about 6 p.m. North American Eastern Time. That's 10 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. You'll have to work out the rest from there. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.